welcome to the Scripture Study Project, our podcast dedicated to helping you discover the scriptures in a fresh way, invest your mind and heart into your personal study, and connect to God in your everyday life. We are your hosts, Zach and Krista Horton, and this week we are here to study with you in the Doctrine and Covenants, sections 115 through 120. In fact, I think this episode kind of builds on what we studied last week. Last week, we focused on mistakes, follies, and in this study, we can build on that, understand our mistakes uh, are part of a divine plan, and figure out how to move on from them or how to move up from them. So really relevant discussion for anyone that might be feeling uh, like you're in the middle of a growth process or change or uh, like you make mistakes, which I think might just include everybody that is listening. I don't think me. <laughs> Doesn't include just you. Just kidding. Um, I think that there's also been another pattern that I've been noticing, and that mostly comes from you, Zach, that most of the episodes are relevant, which is kind of cool. We do I think, try and make things relevant. Well, we don't try. I think the scriptures are yeah, just relevant, and we just like to make those connections, so... Not to sound redundant on that, but I really think that um, the scriptures are something we can learn from. <gasps> Newsflash. <laughs> well, I do think, and we've said this multiple times, but the for me at least, studying the scriptures just for cool insights or cross-references or things you didn't know before is good, but not especially motivating towards any kind of elevated Christian living. For me, the power in the scriptures comes when I realize that these people I'm reading about interacted with the Lord in situations that are very similar to my own. And if I can see what the Lord did for or to them, what he said to them, what teachings and truths he gave to them in their situations, it helps me to look for those same things from him in my situations. We haven't mentioned this in a while, but one of the big beliefs we have in our podcast is that the scriptures are the living word of God, meaning he can use them in your present life to speak to you. Not just this happened 200 years ago and how do I apply it today? But as you're reading, he can take what you're reading uh, and highlight things for you, point out things for you, prompt you to do things that is in all actuality, God speaking to you in a very living and real way. Which you're right, really does round out what we will be talking about today. And, um, applies to what we try and share with that, um, the goal in mind to connect you to God in your everyday life through the scriptures. And of course, the scriptures are one of the many ways in which we can do that. But I think a very important um, and vital tool that we have. So let's get studying today. So this um, one of my favorite verses in all of the Doctrine and Covenants, and probably a lot of people's favorite verse, is section 115, verse 5. It's one of those motivational, enlightening, I'm pretty sure it was a youth theme once, and it's maybe been a seminary theme for different seminaries I've been at a couple of times. Verily I say unto you all, arise and shine forth, that thy light may be a standard for the nations. Great, powerful verse. And I'm pausing because you look like you were going to say something or sing something or... <laughs> Well, I, I had, you had mentioned the youth song and I realized like, oh, I have, I have it in my head what it is. <laughs> Again, I will not sing, but apparently many of my, because actually last night when we were um, 
talking and discussing the episode today, I had my, I said, so do you want me to sing Hamilton or not? Because, <laughs> you know, Rise, Rise Up. up. Um, and so Arise is another song that we could sing, but we'll let you sing it on your own to yourself. Um, I noticed as I read this time, that very powerful motivational verse begins with a word that means to get up after you have fallen down. Uh, in fact, um, that idea that we are to arise from our um, mortal trappings, from our mistakes, and from our fallings is prevalent throughout our entire study this week. And just to maybe flesh it out for us, the background, if you study at all, Come Follow Me touches on it briefly, and some parts it doesn't mention. But again, in those great historical resources that the church provides, you can find some more details on this. This is perhaps one of the ugliest, most confusing, and darkest times of the church. This period between uh, 18, summer of 1837 and summer of 1838, we've got the Church is heavily in debt. Church leaders are in debt. They have built a temple. They have purchased land in first Kirtland and then in Jackson County. And in Jackson County, they lost that land. And so now they have to purchase new land outside of Jackson County. And uh, that puts them heavily in debt. So to mitigate that, uh, we mentioned last week that some church leaders, Joseph Smith included, go to Salem to try and raise money. That doesn't work out very well. And so one of the ideas that comes up is they're going to build, uh, they're going to create a bank. Uh, the uh, idea is, of course, we can loan money to uh, to community members, members of the church, and then when they pay that money back with interest, the bank profits, and then those in the community who need capital to build farms and to uh create some kind of prosperous living can have that as well. So they view it as a very win-win. The problem is they can't get the bank approved. They can't get a charter for the bank accepted. And so it just ends up being the Kirtland Safety Society. They still are able to extend loans, but they don't have a lot of the, the legal and formal backing and support that a bank might have. So they start operating this Kirtland Society. Uh, one of the problems is they don't have any, the only income that's provided for the Safety Society comes from people that buy stock in the Kirtland Safety Society. So they have to be willing to give their gold or their money to the bank to back up the paper currency that they're going to print. So they print paper currency and long story short, it all goes sideways. There's an antagonistic community member that really hates the church. He collects all of the paper money, and then he makes a run on the bank, tries to cash in all of it. They have to pay him, which puts them even more in debt. Uh, Joseph has convinced um, through persuasion and even through some some prophetic statements, uh, individuals in the community to buy into the bank. And when the bank starts going south, they get very upset at Joseph. Uh, they lose faith and confidence in him as a church leader and as a prophet, and some of them term very antagonistic. There are fist fights in the Kirtland Temple until eventually those that have left the church and even started their own church um, are so antagonistic to other members of the church in Kirtland that they'll have to move to Missouri. But Missouri isn't much better. You've got leaders of the church in Missouri, Oliver Cowdery predominant among them, that are also questioning the prophet. And, uh, and that conflict just seems to grow and spread. Fissures uh, appear. 
and we have uh, members of the Quorum of the Twelve and a counselor in the First Presidency that are excommunicated from the church by church councils. So it's all just a mess. And I was reading Saints, which is usually about as uh, optimistic and kind as you can be to history. And it still was hard to read because it's just ugly. And as I studied that and reflected on Arise, um, it struck me that this mortal failing, these mistakes, might not actually be mistakes. They might be an integral part of the plan of salvation. In other words, you can't arise if you haven't fallen down. And it might happen multiple times too, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I noticed actually that this phrase, Zach read that verse from section 115, verse 5, Verily I say unto you, all arise and shine forth, that thy light may be a standard for the nations. And then that phrase shows up a few more times, a couple more times in this block of scripture that we're studying. Section 117, verse 2, Let them awake and arise and come forth, and not tarry, for I the Lord command it. Um, and then again in, in verse 13 in the same section where he says, And when he falls, he shall arise again, for his sacrifice shall be more sacred unto me than his increase, saith the Lord. And he's referring to, I think it was Oliver, yeah, Oliver Granger in that verse. And so I think it's interesting to see it appear a few times talking to, talking a few about the large body of the church and also about individuals. So this recognized as a very, um, needed pattern, I guess yeah. you could say. <laughs> well, and I think the shift that happened in my mind as I was studying is, I don't think this is just the Lord's backup plan. Hey, by the way, if you make a mistake, then you need to get up, you need to arise, and there's redemption and repentance and all of that. And maybe this just seems so basic, but to me it wasn't. I think it's designed to be that way. How can we learn some of life's most important lessons and not just learn them mentally, but have them become part of who we are without going through some of the mistakes and the humanity? In fact, I find it interesting that right before that word arise, we get the name of the church. Uh, section 115, verse 4, For thus shall my church be called in the last days even the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And of course, President Nelson has emphasized that. This last conference, we had many repeated emphases of the title of the church and the focus on the name of Jesus Christ. But it struck me as I was reading, we're not just the Church of Jesus Christ. There are lots of churches that have the name Jesus Christ in them. We are the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. By divine design, our church is both is a connection between a divine being and very mortal, uh, often mistaken individuals. And both of those things make our church. Um, I read a, a fabulous article um, a little while ago and then reread it just this last week, and we'll link it in our show notes. It's by a member of the church named Eugene England, who was a, an academic uh, a teacher um, and just a great thinker, but was kind of on the edge uh, in his day a little bit. And uh, one of the articles that he wrote that I love is uh, called Why the Church is as True as the Gospel. And he just mentions, we all say it, well, the gospel is true, but the church isn't because it's made up of mortal people. And we all kind of shrug and say, yeah, that's just part of life. Like it's a, it's a unfortunate reality that 
the church is filled with mortal people and we just have to remember that God is perfect and the gospel is perfect so that we can get through all the mortality. And his point is the church is imperfect on purpose. And in fact, the fact that it's on purpose is divinely designed because it gives us a place to wrestle with our mortality and to overcome it. Without an imperfect church, we would not have a place to grow and develop the skills, the, the characteristics and attributes we need to become like God. Okay, so with all that in mind, um, our invest question for this episode, this study is, what can I do to allow myself to arise when I fall? Or um, what or and, wait, it's and or. And or. <laughs> what can I better do to allow others that same grace to give them room to um, make mistakes and try again? I was going to say, we should probably add both of those. What can I do to allow myself and others both to fall because that's part of the plan? And then to arise, because that's also part of the plan. We're pretty good at allowing people to repent, but maybe not so good at allowing ourselves and others to make mistakes. Isn't that true, man? Mm -hmm. Just how, how often we get upset at ourselves when we make mistakes, when we realize that that's just part of it. Yeah. It's just part of the process. Um, so, and we're not going to answer these questions for you because these are really personal questions. But what we want to do with a few examples right now is just give you some ideas to motivate you um, to ask and answer these two questions for yourself. So the first one that I thought of or that I um, came across in this study is in section 115. In verse 9, um, the Lord is talking again that they need to build another temple. And keep in mind, this is just recently having left a temple that they completed that they were only able to use for two years and here they are having to build another one so thinking of that almost makes your your heart sink too like we already did this and here we are having to get the instructions again but um that he gives them a command to build a house unto me for the gathering together of my saints that they may worship me. And verse nine says, and let there be a beginning of this work and a foundation and the preparatory work. And I just thought, oh man, here it is again, all those layers, all of the work that has to be put into building another temple and likening this to anything that you're doing, anything that you're trying to improve or anything that you're trying to rise up from. Um, there's a lot of preparatory work. There's the foundation that needs to be laid and not to, maybe this is a demotivator. <laughs> this doesn't sound very motivating. <laughs> maybe this, but I think the reality of just the work that it takes to rise up sometimes when we have fallen or when we feel defeated or when things aren't working the way we want them to. Um, and then down in verse 12, he says to, he reminds them to labor diligently. So just that reminder, I think for me, which Honestly, it is kind of a motivation, just the reality of what that kind of change or building really requires of us is to labor diligently for what we want. And it makes me think, you know, we often use stress and strain and defeat and mistake as indicators of failure, which in some cases they are, right? Um pain and guilt are often indicators that we've done something wrong and need to make a change. But what you're saying is the labor, the work, the sweat, the toil might also sometimes be an indicator that we're doing the right thing. If something is hard, if a work is hard, 
if we consistently make mistakes with it, maybe that's not an indication that something's wrong. Maybe it's an indication that something is on path. The covenant path is not a, it's a simple path, but it's not an easy path. And being on that path requires work. Well, in thinking of that from a personal um, standpoint for me, um, the painful points that I've experienced most recently in my life um, have been things that have been a motivator to me, that pain has been. And, you know, we look at that with our physical bodies, that if we have a cut, we know we need to help it get healed. We know we need to put a Band-Aid on it or or get stitches, whatever it is. So there's very physical signs in that. And I think that we can look at those pain points that we're feeling in our life um, as things that it's a good reminder for us to do better. And I know that's been the case for me as I think of some of those experiences I've had where it has been um, almost physically painful how hard certain things have been. Um, but it's really motivated me to want to change and to feel better in those areas. Yeah, I like that. For me, a big motivator is that there are qualities, Christ-like, God-like qualities we cannot achieve without falling, hurting, uh, and and maybe to degrees failing. Uh, you read this already. This is section 117, verse 13, about Oliver Granger, who's given the task to uh, stay behind in, in Kirtland and try and rescue whatever he can from the mess that's there. And it says in verse 13, Therefore, let him contend earnestly for the redemption of the first presidency of my church, saith the Lord. That's a big, tall task. And then I love this. Notice what it doesn't say. The word if does not, a show, does not appear in this verse. And when he falls, he shall rise again. And then a phrase that to me is really fascinating. For his sacrifice shall be more sacred unto me than his increase, saith the Lord. Earlier in the section, verse 4, the Lord says, What is property unto me? And he goes on this long list, uh, verse 6, Have I not the fowls of heaven and also the fish of the sea and the beasts of the mountains? And have I not made the earth and the destinies of the nations of the earth that I hold in my hands? In other words, I don't need money. I don't need increase. I don't even need buildings. I don't need what it is I'm asking you to do. So I'm asking you to do it not because I need it. I'm asking you to do it because I need you to struggle to do it because only then, only through that sacrifice can you become sacred. His sacrifice shall be more sacred unto me than his increase. Um, the building of temples, especially these early temples, um, was a holy work because it sanctified the people that were building it. They had to give up so much. And it was that act of sacrificing that changed who they are. Uh, in the next section, uh, section 118, listen to these qualities listed in verse 3 for, for, uh, for ministry, for work. Let the residue continue to preach from that hour, and if they will do this in all lowliness of heart, in meekness and humility and long-suffering, I, the Lord, give unto them a promise that I will provide for their families, and an effectual door shall be opened for them from henceforth. Those four qualities in that verse, lowliness, meekness, humility, and long-suffering, cannot, at least in my experience, maybe you're better than I am, cannot be acquired without mortal trial and imperfection. How do you learn humility if you aren't humbled? I know Alma says we can humble ourselves. 
I'm just not good at that. <laughs> and so maybe I've got a ways to go in these early stages of me learning humility. It has to be put upon me. I have to be put in situations where I have to learn humility. I have to learn meekness. And certainly, how can you be long-suffering if you don't ever suffer? These qualities are the kinds of things that describe who God is. He is meek and humble and long-suffering. But we can only become that way if we go through what we are going through. So the fact that it's hard isn't an indicator, again, that it's bad. It's an indicator that something's good. Well, I always kind of look at myself. I, there's been a few times in my life where I've been kind of angry at myself, like, oh, I have to be compelled to be humble again. This is, can't I just do this on my own? <laughs> and now I can look at that as actually it's okay mm. that I'm being compelled to be humble. That's just part of how it's supposed to work because that can be pretty frustrating. Um but don't be frustrated, be motivated, because that's how it's supposed to be, right? <laughs> we're, not, we're not hitting the motivation mark really well, are no, we? No, this is good. I think for me, part of the motivation is just being realistic of the task that we have ahead of us, mm -hmm. is to not, um, yeah, I think it takes a little of each of these things. So the last motivating factor, motivating verse or idea that I found was um, something that's going to be actually motivating, I think. Yeah, this right? might actually do it. Yep. Um, but that is in section 115, verse 14. But let a house be built unto my name. And again, he's talking about the far west temple that we already mentioned earlier. But here's the verse, verse 14. But let a house be built unto my name according to the pattern which I will show unto them. Um quickly came into my mind just a conference talk given just last week in general conference from Sister Camille Johnson, the new primary president, about her talk called Invite Christ to Author Your Story. And luckily the church already has the the talks up, so we were I was able to look at it a little bit more closely. But I love the idea of that she shared of letting God be a part of your story and a part of your plans and a part of your um, patterns for your life. That he is, as she said, I'm going to quote from her here. She says, I testify that the Savior is the author and finisher of our faith. Will you invite him to be the author and finisher of your story? He knows the beginning from the end. He was the creator of heaven and earth. He wants us to return home to him and our heavenly father. He has everything invested in us and wants us to succeed. And I think she kind of poses a very similar question to the one that we are asking today. What do you suppose keeps us from tuning, turning our stories over to him? So the same, what can we do to better let him help us to see what we need to do when, we've, when we're trying to rise up, when we're trying to write our story in a better way? And so I think that's a good reminder to us to remember that God has created us. He's created the world. He's created everything. And he's very interested in helping us succeed in our story. In fact, to help us connect to God, one practical idea that I've been wrestling with, and it came from her, her uh, comment in conference, she mentions that we all have personal narratives. And um, that idea, I think, has been becoming more popular lately, that we have a personal narrative that we tell ourselves that creates emotion. Something bad happens and we have this storyline that we repeat to ourselves that a lot of times is a very defeating story. And her suggestion is to allow Christ to rewrite that personal narrative. And so I think a really practical thing that could be done is sit down with a piece of paper 
and write a different personal narrative about failure, about mistake, about um, growth that helps you to reframe this in a very eternal perspective that removes um, the, the erroneous ideas and replaces them with ones that are true. If I were doing that for me, one of the points that would be key is this idea in section 119, verse 6. I say unto you, if my people observe not this law to keep it holy, and by this law sanctify the land of Zion unto me, that my statutes and my judgments may be kept thereon, that it may be most holy. Behold, verily I say unto you, it shall not be a land of Zion unto you. Now this is fascinating because for most members of the church up to this point, Zion has been a geographical location. It has been Independence, Jackson County, Missouri. That's Zion. And here the Lord is saying Zion is flexible and it's contingent. You can either make or not make Zion depending on the work you're willing to put into being sanctified and helping to sanctify those around you. Uh, we all love Moses chapter 7 where it says the Lord called this people Zion because they were of one heart and one mind and dwelt in righteousness and there were no poor among them. Scripture mastery and we love it. But there's a verse, two verses later, that's interesting. It came to pass that Enoch talked with the Lord, and he said unto the Lord, Surely Zion shall dwell in safety forever. That's Enoch's idea, and it probably was Joseph Smith and many other church members' idea of what Zion would be. We have Zion revealed. It's going to be in Jackson County. We're all going to go there, and it's going to be peaceful and safety forever. Then the next word, But the Lord said to Enoch, Zion have I blessed but the residue of the people have I cursed. Now there's a subtle message here, and it is, Enoch, you and your people might be doing okay, but the rest of the world is not. And we don't sit around waiting for Zion to come to us. We build Zion here on earth. That's what we have been tasked to do as members of the church. And so my personal narrative is, when things are hard, when I'm frustrated, right now I'm really frustrated, there's a couple of things I'm trying to do in different areas of my life that just are not working. And as I think about it, the, the narrative I need to tell myself is that's the whole point. That wrestle and that work is meant to be refining for me. That's why God has given us Zion to build, not just to wait for. And so hopefully that challenge is something that allows you the chance to wrestle with these ideas and uh, to, to dive into your study. Thank you so much for studying with us this week. And we'll see you next episode.